You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARQU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by Open Text Public Sector Executive and Global Government Thought Leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. Back in the day, technology was primarily an order taker, right? You know, it's, it's like going to a restaurant and say, hey, uh, there are four people. I'm basically uh, noting down what is being requested in all the four tables, and I'm going in sequential order and delivering one by one. Versus now, where when you think of that product-based mindset, you start to look at use cases and value add, and then determine, you know, are there microservices that I can actually build that can be leveraged across multiple systems. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. Organizations have more data than they can handle right now, which is an interesting dichotomy because data forms the bedrock of good citizen services. But it is not difficult to imagine the extent of missed opportunities and lost potential from these underutilized data pieces. It's crucial for leaders to consistently discuss the power of data as the agency's leadership team oversees the tone and agenda for cultural change. Government agencies must ensure everyone understands the value of data for initiatives to be closely aligned with the team's priorities. One suggestion I can recommend, and this is something we do at OpenText, is leaders can mandate that each discussion begins with a data point. This will encourage employees to use data in making decisions and increase their confidence in doing so. For data to be valuable, it needs to be collected, managed, protected, and used in a way that aligns with an agency's priorities. And this is something that our guest today is weaving into the fabric of what he does. Pavan Pitagu is the CTO of the Department of Transportation's Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. But before he joined government last year, he was a senior executive at Walmart leading customer experience for international markets. So he understands the importance data plays in delivering industry-leading next-generation services to his customers. And that's just one of the many topics we're going to touch on in today's episode. Pavan, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for joining us today. Brian, it's my pleasure. So I'm really interested, Pavan, and, and we, I want to start off by kind of what brought you to government, because I, I've seen in your background, you worked at Walmart, where you were responsible for the global customer experience and the payment systems uh, for international shops. And, and you have a pretty extensive background um, in the private sector. What brought you to the government space? That's a great question, uh, Brian. Um, to start with, I should thank uh, my classmate from Columbia, uh, Alex Gutman, that actually inspired me to think beyond retail. During uh, uh, a conversation with Alex, we were talking about, you know, what's next in for us after graduating from the executive master's program uh, from Columbia, what we want to do, what's our, you know, uh, ultimate goal in life. And having worked in retail, I've developed passion and compassion to make things easier for people on their day-to-day happenings. You know, uh, retail uh, is something that we can not live without uh, on a daily basis. At the same time, transportation is another, right? People have to move, get from point A to point B to C on a daily basis. So 
having worked in Walmart in retail for a long time and in Walmart for almost uh, close to a decade, the mission was always about, you know, helping people save money so they can live better, which was the mission of Walmart. And the mission for Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration attracted me even further because our mission here is to reduce crashes, injuries, and fatalities involving large trucks and buses. But in plain, simple words, people can have lives when fatalities are reduced, right? So moving from saving money so they can, uh, so they can live better to a mission that's even beyond a better life, but actually more people have lives with reduced uh, crashes in the highways. So that attracted me. And Alex actually was the one that started, made me start thinking about Think beyond retail. Don't just uh, uh, think about what you can do going to another retailer, uh, having spent more than you know all of my professional life in retail. Uh, go to an industry where technology is underserved, uh, where we can add a lot of value and uh, bring exponential change. That's why I'm here in FMCSA and DOT. Well, and I know you and I have had some conversations even even prior to this um, with my role at OpenText. And I've found, especially the, the data-driven side of kind of what you're bringing to the organization to be really valuable to driving that mission forward. So I'm, I can thank Alex too for bringing you to the government. And I'm curious, what have you found to be some of the differences between working at a Walmart and working at uh, at the government, both really large, obviously organizations um, within DOT and also Walmart, um, but but glaring uh, differences, I would imagine, right? There are some. Uh, there are a lot of uh, commonalities I found, especially in uh, terms of uh, uh, the passion that uh, people have developed over the long tenure that they have developed. I've, I've seen that in Walmart. I've, I've seen that uh, in my time uh, in a lot of uh, organizations that I came across uh, in the private sector. But the same thing that I saw in FMCSA and DOT, there are a like lot of passionate uh, people that have dedicated their lives to FMCSA's mission or the Department of Transportation's mission. So that's great to uh, you know observe and be on the side with those dedicated people to be able to contribute and achieve the mission. The differences, uh, obviously, there are a lot of differences as well. Being in retail, it's a very fast-paced environment, right? Especially uh, from a technology perspective where things change rapidly overnight. Any any project that's... Uh, you know, th- that could take beyond uh, six months is probably not worth investing in, in uh, my previous world, right? Because, you know, things change and you have a new technology or you have a new customer expectation that you need to be meeting, whatnot. That pace is not there in the government. Uh, and there is a reason for it also, right? You know, in, in terms of when your, your mission is uh, safe to enable safety, you're focused uh, in, in that. And the other piece that I'm also uh, working rigorously to change is a lot of our technologies are antiquated. So you cannot rapidly bring change to those antiquated technologies overnight. So the fundamental thing is to change the basic elements and create platforms that are modern, 
so you can react quickly and uh, uh, do things in a fast-paced environment, even in the government sector. I'm going to pull on that thread a little bit because you mentioned antiquated systems. And I know that's something that anybody who works in government IT understands that the, and it's not just a department of transportation challenge. It's a, it's a holistic government challenge where you are working with, with systems that are, are not able to keep up with some of the challenges and demands of today's environment. What are some of the things that you're doing right now? And how do you approach those type of challenges when you have this, this system that is really the foundation of what you're, you're building your, your work on and your, your mission outcomes on? How do you go about changing a system like that? Systems are actually like when we talk about technology perspective, uh, historically, the systems were built in monolith styles, right? Like you, I have this one business problem. Okay, let, let me build a technology that will solve that problem or automate that process. And over a period, if we look back now, there have been many such instances where technology was needed and people have delivered what was needed at the time. Um, but now, if we actually look back, the connectivity among those things was missing. So as I'm looking at modernization of all of FMCSA system, I am taking a different approach than replacing system by system, but looking at them from usability perspective, function-based perspective of FMCSA IT users, right? Like we have inspectors as an example, right? We have a lot of inspectors that are federal uh, employees and also our state partners from different state police departments that uh, work with uh, FMCSA to inspect uh, commercial vehicles across uh, the 50 states. So these users, in order to successfully finish an inspection, today have to go through seven or eight different systems to perform different activities. So in my modernization approach, I'm looking at consolidating all of these different applications we have today, or you can call them systems or applications or products, but they are all different today. So I'm trying to bring in that functionality into a common platform. So that way I, as an inspector, have a one-stop shop. You know, uh, we have seen this even in uh, my previous world in retail, right? Like when Walmart launched their uh, mobile app for the first time. It was a standalone app. Then we launched a Walmart grocery pickup and it was a standalone capability. So there was a new app for that. But over time, we quickly realized from a usability perspective, it all has to be in one place. And uh, we took and reacted quickly uh, to merge all of those capabilities under one umbrella of technology solution. It, it makes it much simpler and much easier for the users. So that's the same approach uh, and mentality that I'm trying to bring in to FMCSA, where we identify the users based on their function, uh, the roles that they do for the department and identify what capabilities are required from a technology perspective for them to be able to do their jobs more effectively and simplistically and provide the technology by consolidating the different IT assets and combining them into a common platform 
and provide that with more human-centered design uh, built in, right? Like we are at the age where everything should be able to run on anything, any device, any platform, right? I I don't want to restrict the users to be sitting at their desktop or laptop all the time to be able to perform. Like, you know, if I'm an inspector, I'm standing outside, I may be able to do a few things on the phone or on the tablet and then uh, be able to pick up where I'm leaving things off when I get back inside the uh, office room and finish it. I think that's a really good example of how, and we've touched on this on the show, um, even with my last get, guest, uh, Devaris Peoples, he's the CIO for the Army Corps of Engineers, and we kind of talked about the role of the government employee is really different than what sometimes we all imagine. Not everybody's sitting behind a desk looking at email, going through systems and on their laptop. You have field workers, and I, I think uh, I think your role at FMCSA is kind of a really good example of. You have operators in the field that that need to have kind of native deployment around some of these applications that they're working on. So it kind of increases the challenges. One of the, one of the things I'm really curious about is because Walmart couldn't have prepared you for this. The pandemic hit, and you're you're in your role. What does that look like for you? And what do you what what have you learned over the past, let's say, 18 months um, with the the pandemic hitting? Definitely, Brian. Nobody. Um was expecting this pandemic and there was no way uh, regardless of uh, what their background is or what they've gone through uh, uh, that that have seen a pandemic like this uh, and lived through that that we could learn from a few things that help me uh, be prepared or uh, help me to be effective during the pandemic was forward thinking that that you know being in walmart for as long as i have I've been and working with uh, uh, a few great colleagues and leaders, I've learned about building technologies that are future-proof, right? How do you anticipate things that may happen in the future and be ready for it, right? Like when, when certain things that you don't expect occur, you wouldn't know yesterday that this is going to happen, but your reaction time to it should be quicker. And your ability to accomplish something when something occurs that you have never imagined should be much quicker than an average person. So that, in that perspective, uh, I was prepared uh, <laughs> uh, to react and adapt quickly. Uh, the other things that I have learned as a leader uh, through the pandemic period is to be more compassionate and listen to employees and be be okay uh, to rapidly change plans that were agreed upon from yesterday, right? You know, again, we've lived through an environment where everybody stayed home, kids had schooling from home, some kids needed help, some kids needed to be taken care while uh, both parents are working or, uh, you know, uh, parents that are needing to be juggling between a tiny kid and work at all at the same time. So because of all these things, it's important for leaders to acknowledge and support your employees knowing what their needs are and showing them the support with voice that I'm here. You can be openly telling me what your needs are. It was really hard for me in the beginning 
because I started in the middle of pandemic in this role mm-hmm. and I was remote. I have never had an opportunity uh, uh, to meet anybody. So all my staff saw was a brand new guy that doesn't know anything about working environment in the government. That's also passionate and a little bit aggressive towards meeting the goals, right? I mean, like I said, uh, I I come from very fast paced environment. So early on when I'm talking about, you know, uh, some of these things that I want to accomplish, luckily I had good team uh, that helped me realize what the processes are uh, that I have to follow through, like, you know, recruiting processes or acquisition processes, which are new to me and the Mm -hmm. timelines are new to me. So I had to reset my expectations to some sort of reality. But at the same time, I wasn't going to stop continuing to push harder to ensure that we bring some private sector best practices into the government area as well. So there was a struggle in the beginning, especially since uh, my team has never seen me. But uh, we we had like a lot of one on ones uh, over thanks to Zoom and Teams and other uh, tools that we have available where we can uh, see person virtually, even though it's, it was virtual. I did like a lot of one on ones uh, with the entire organization and uh, tried to get to know each of us on a personal level and talk talk about how we can work together in the middle of the pandemic. Let me ask you this. So you've been in that role now, like you said, you started during the pandemic, um, I, I guess around a year. What, As you've kind of understood the landscape of your organization, what the needs are, we talked about antiquated systems before. What are some of your technology priorities um, going into the next fiscal year to kind of drive modernization at a FMCSA? Three different uh, uh, focal points. From a technology perspective, again, uh, I strongly believe that technology alone is rather meaningless if you don't combine transformation of technology along with processes and people. So having been in the role for a year, uh, we started this journey uh, right after I got in, but uh, we're we're now in the half uh, uh, way on executing some of these plans and the three priorities when it comes to people identify what skills are required for future right like you know a lot of things have changed a lot of things are going to change uh, uh, on the basic technology stacks from that standpoint to all the way on how we actually do technology development and delivery right processes have changed tools have changed etc so understand the gaps of that and provide time and training for the resources to be able to succeed in what we're asking them. Change the processes, working with the business partners to understand where we can bring efficiency, where we can automate, because some of these technologies, some of the things they are doing today are there because you know that, that's how much technology could do 15 years ago when the initial application was built. So so working with them to re-engineer the processes and take advantage of technology. And then from technology stack perspective, the primary goals for the next upcoming year for me is create a common data platform. We have a lot of 
debt is sprawling in FMCSA because, you know, like I was saying, individual need created individual system. And then to combine uh, the data from multiple sources, there were like lots of snapshots after snapshots were taken that created a lot of data sprawling. So I want to ensure we have a clean foundational data layer that can be leveraged for all the analytics and future modeling purposes. The second priority is create a modern inspection platform that enables all of our inspectors that are both federal and state affiliated to use simplistic technology as they are inspecting vehicles, whether it is along the roadside or uh, you know in an inspection pit. This provides not only simplicity for their role, but also adds a lot of safety measures uh, while a vehicle is being inspected along the roadside in a highway. And then the third one is uh, to ensure we are back on track in providing a national registry technology for all of the medical examiners that participate with FMCSA and certify the commercial drivers across the country. So there was an effort before I started uh, that did not go well, that caused the agency to delay uh, the rulemaking for a few more years out uh, because the technology was not ready. So that's that's on uh, track right now to be delivered early 2022 uh, to be able to deliver that platform and then have the states start to adapt to it so that we can uh, meet the rulemaking mandated timelines. But the near and dear to my heart right now, Brian, is the inspection platform. And I can understand that. So, and one of the things I liked is you're looking at use cases, right? And something you mentioned earlier on where you're really trying to drive this from the outcome backwards and, and really where you're trying to get to, not just the pieces of technology that are, are coming in. But um, as you look at these outcomes, are there certain technologies that you think can help you facilitate these processes and get to these outcomes? I know low code has been big in government. There's, uh, there's a lot of conversations around RPA, et cetera. Are there things that you're keeping an eye on that you think could be kind of woven into the fabric of what you're doing to drive these outcomes forward? Absolutely, right? You know, as, as the leader of technology, we definitely have to keep an eye out on what is available and what might be the best technology that could be used uh, to solve that problem, right? We're talking about low code, right? So as the government agency, there is a lot of file movement that happens from one office to other office to other office, right? You know, you can you can classify that as a case management approach, right? You, you continue to move the cases, uh, people review, provide comments, go back and forth and then approve. So there is not a lot of need for building in-house or building custom-made case management solutions. We can definitely take advantage of a lot of uh, low-code platforms that are already available. Uh, actually, I uh, learned recently that 
within DOT and uh, FMCSI, we already have licenses for some of those local platforms that we can quickly turn around and deliver a cash management solution uh, in less than three weeks. That's one of the things that I've been stressing as I've been kind of kind of talking about some of these things that government struggles with is the overlap and duplication of technologies across an entire ecosystem. So the fact that you have identified that you have this available, I'm really curious to know kind of what you did to identify that, because I think there's a lot of entities out there that they go through a very siloed linear procurement process. And let's use low code as an example. There might be another entity within DOT that has this low code platform, but they kind of keep their head down and they say, okay, we need this. And they, they go after it and they procure it. But now you have an entire platform dedicated to, to just a singular administration when you could actually have complete enterprise value from that platform. And I think that's phenomenal that you, that you did that because I think you're, you're not only saving the DOT money, but you're opening up the aperture in terms of what the value can be for that organization. And, uh, Brian, uh, part of the reason uh, I was able to find is because, like I said earlier, I started to look at the existing applications or uh, systems that we have and try to understand what is the value those applications provide? Who are the users? What is what is the uh, business need for it? And then started to learn similarities of functionality across multiple systems, right? And and then coming in from technology background, you can simply apply, okay, this does the same thing and this does the same thing. Why do, ha- why do we have mm-hmm. two different things? And, you know, uh, the simple response is, hey, this was asked by two different program offices in the past and we just did it when they asked. Uh, because back in the day, technology was primarily you know, an order taker, right? You know, it's it's like going to a restaurant and say, hey, uh, there are four people. I'm basically uh, noting down what is being requested in all the four tables, and I'm going in sequential order and delivering one by one. Versus now, where when you think of that product-based mindset, you start to look at use cases and value add, and then determine, you know, are there microservices that I can actually build that can be leveraged across multiple systems, right? So um, when you do that kind of analysis, you will find out there will be commonalities across the systems. Then I started to dig uh, uh, and pay more attention to, uh, you know, the spend plans and look at where the money is going. Uh, Because like when I looked at uh, the number of applications that we have and number of different tools that we're paying licenses for. That didn't make sense for me at the uh, the initial stage. So I started to dig why. And then I quickly realized, okay, I'm already paying license here. This is the platform or this is the technology stack that I want to use for all of my, let's say, case management as an example. Uh, this, all of these case management solutions should be combined into this common technology stack. So one, we save a lot of money on licenses, but more than the licensing money part, it's ability to change and react quickly, right? So tomorrow there is a new law uh, or new need that requires these eight different systems to be modified. 
when you have a common foundational layer that is being leveraged for multiple use cases, you make a change in one place and you're good to go. I actually learned it from uh, being in Walmart and being in uh, retail, I mean, like uh, the customer storefront, especially because we have different ways of checking things out, right? Like you have a a regular POS, you have a self-checkout, you have a, uh, you know, a mobile checkout that the cashiers use, whatnot. And those checkout channels continue to evolve in the store. And it was a nightmare to make changes system after system for the same reason. I leveraged the same strategy that uh, was a good learning from many years ago in Walmart. Or, or even target uh, and applied it here. I was going to ask you, so you you talk about kind of data being some of the foundational layers of, of what you're doing. How is data kind of driving what your strategy is as well? Like what, what type of data did you have when you came in and what are some of the gaps you found and, and where are you going after trying to capture the data that you need to kind of build that ecosystem out? So data is only as good if you know what, you can do with that data and why you need to do certain things with with that available data, right? Today, uh, like I was saying, uh, in uh, FMCSA, uh, we have like a lot of uh, data-driven decision-making that occurs, uh, right? Like whether it is uh, during the vetting process of uh, somebody trying to register uh, for a new DOT number, or uh, during the enforcement or during the inspection process, uh, you know, which carriers uh, had a history um, that they needed to be inspected uh, more thoroughly, etc. So access to this data was not easy because some, uh, some of these processes that they have built in uh, because of the limitations that the antiquated technology provide uh, was not robust. That's why I made uh, uh, creating a data platform uh, as my number one priority uh, in the upcoming year. So we can provide the authoritative data. Even our, uh, uh, you know, you can call it enterprise data warehouse or, uh, you know, uh, you can call it like a motor carrier primary database that we have. That particular system was grandfathered when FMCSA as an agency was formed when we were separated from, I think, highways, I believe, uh, where FMCSA was part of earlier, uh, uh, some 20 plus years ago before we uh, became our own agency. So that particular database or data entity, IT asset, existed and created keeping in the minds of the, uh, the needs of the highway authority. When FMCSA was newly formed, uh, there were very little changes to uh, done to that particular system that could provide and meet the needs of FMCSA's mission and, and provide the authoritative data. So by taking a clean slate approach and building the right foundation, I envision providing the agency more authoritative data. So going forward data driven decisions along with you know uh, for lack of better terms brian i'll go ahead and use uh, uh, proof <laughs> <laughs> or uh, proof of authoritative data uh, uh, to be able to leverage for 
futuristic policy makings. I'm not saying we don't do that today. We do it. But the process to get there is very cumbersome, very hard. Uh, we need to sim- simplify that process uh, for the program offices and the policymakers. So how does that data strategy that you're talking about and creating that data platform, how does that impact what your cloud strategy is? I would imagine being a subset of the Department of Transportation, I'm guessing there are some requirements that are passed down to you. But when you look at your cloud strategy, how does how you leverage data, um, as well as what you mentioned earlier, having f- uh, operators out in the field that are that are working to, to to do these inspections. How does all of this impact what that cloud ecosystem has to look like for you? One good thing um, is that the Department of Transportation um, is little ahead of uh, uh, some other government agencies in uh, uh, migrating to cloud or have more cloud enabled systems already. Um, as I came on board. Most of FMCSA legacy solutions out, uh, that, that have been there for a long time have been already moved to the cloud. Uh, sadly, though, that movement happened with pure just lift and shift rather than, you know, um, strategic vision, strategic around, vision it. around yeah. getting those applications, you know, uh, in a, in a way where you can leverage a lot of uh, technology benefits that the cloud provides. Like example is like auto scaling, right? When mm-hmm. you have a physical server, you may or may not have the capabilities of auto scaling, but when you actually move up, uh, it's a different strategy there. Well, I think right now, it's, I mean, not just within DOT, but a lot of organizations, traditionally that shift to the cloud has been around saving money and and like you mentioned scaling up agility etc but now i think the the cloud strategy is really looking at the adoption of certain technologies that you couldn't do without it totally agree so for me uh, the two things with the uh, going back to that cloud strategy and infrastructure uh, availability right so we are transitioning from an agency owned or led uh, commodity services we have transitioned to, as a department, as a whole, we leverage uh, a common IT infrastructure roadmap and support structure. So it's, it's, it's great in a way because, you know, uh, you're not only talking cost effectiveness, but you're also ensuring that each agency within the DOT environment is adhering to the Department of Transportation's guidelines and policies. So we're, we're, I basically leverage infrastructure as a service from uh, the department CIO's office. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one. The second one, again, as, as we are thinking, omni, omni-channel experience for all of the applications that we build, you know, uh, the cloud helps for us to be more, more driven towards, uh, you know, the automation of, uh, software development and delivery. We can leverage a lot of uh, uh, existing tools to move quicker to get changes uh, into the hands of the users much, much quicker. Uh, you know, a lot of our applications today 
were desktop based solutions, client server type applications, uh, very few um, web based solutions. But again, a lot of limitations to those as well because of the technologies that they used and the architecture they had used uh, to be able to quickly deploy any changes. So, so for us, the foundations that we are creating will help uh, to deliver changes quickly and um, adapt to the needs of the business users and feedback quickly. So I'm really curious, we touched on your background a little bit earlier around uh, customer experience, and you just mentioned omni-channel experience. How does that background, not just not just holistically with Walmart, but more, more nuanced uh, around focused on customer experience, how has that background helped serve you in the role that you're in now as you take a look at the experiences that your stakeholders have, which is is your organization? have with the technology that you're bringing to bear? If you uh, talk holistically, right, uh, I touched on this narrative where technology alone, in my personal opinion, is meaningless when it is not com- uh, combined with the processes and people. Mm-hmm. So the exposure that I had and the learnings that I had from leading Walmart's, uh, you know, customer checkout experience and, you know, being close to the customer transactional systems. It taught me that I have to be closer to customers. So I used to spend a lot of time visiting stores, observing or talking to shoppers or our cashiers while in the store and actually do the same even in competition stores to learn what the needs are, right? That's the customer experience. What is being expected out of the customer? Because when you, the the traditional or historic way of application building and delivery is the engineers actually get to read a BRD or business requirements or functional requirements and design and develop from there. But we are in the day and age where, you know, when you think of a product, okay, ultimately, what is the outcome that I'm expecting from this system or this capability that's built in this system, right? So that mindset I'm trying to bring into FMCSA. Um, I was, uh, you know, in um, El Paso, Texas a month ago or a month and a half ago. I spent like uh, a few days there visiting our FMCSA inspection sites at the border and also had an opportunity to meet with uh, the FMCSA partners at the CBP officers uh, that run the ports. And listening to them gave me five different use cases that none of us in FMCSA building, uh, you know, in the technology office in the building were even discussing about. Right, like when you when you don't know the expectations, then you can't provide the experience that will meet the expectations. So I'm encouraging a lot of my leadership, uh, direct leadership, to be more closely partnering with our counterparts in different program offices. That will help us one identify the problem and understand the problem uh, firsthand, and then two. As we are thinking about technology solutions, 
we can synthesize and empathize with the user. When you don't have that um, empathy towards the actual user, you may or may not actually build the best customer experience that's provided. We have seen that with a lot of applications, right? Like, you know, a lot of applications that had similar functionality that did not get the adoption rates like the others did. Like WhatsApp as an example, I am sure at least like three or four different tools had the same functionality that WhatsApp provided back in the day in 2012 or 14. But none of them took off today they don't they're 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 not in the market today uh, and did not take off like how whatsapp took off from a customer adoption standpoint so that is the mindset and approach that i'm bringing to fmcsa to be able to create solutions that will be obsessed by the customers so you touched on customer adoption i'm really interested to know what your thoughts are around employee adoption of technologies. Cause I, I know one of your, or, or your primary stakeholders, obviously the employees within FMCSA, when you look at adoption of these technologies you're bringing out, what are some of the strategies you put into place to ensure that uh, the employees are going to have a better experience, but also adopt that technology and, and weave it into the fabric of what they do every day? Great question, Brian. Uh, one major distinction i think uh, you know I, I would like to clarify from your question is in my perspective the employees are customers also so when i actually talk about customer experience and customer adoption i actually mean customers of the product that we are building for they can be internal employees or they can be you know outside people that don't work within fmcsa or dot right so the, for me, a customer is somebody that's actually consuming the product that I have delivered. Mm-hmm. So when you think of that way, you are truly building an experience that the actual user will have and will be obsessed and adapt. So that, that's why, um, you know, when I started uh, talking about identifying the actual role-based capabilities that are required, you actually think of an inspector or an employee that's working for federal government who is supposed to do inspections in the field. When you start treating them as customers and involving them in your journey grooming process, then you know what the expectations are. And when you deliver something that actually meets those expectations, that the adoption rate will go really high. A lot of times, I've seen this both in the government and even in like a, a private sector. Sometimes we actually make the distinction as, hey, the technology customers, that needs to be flashy and shiny, but uh, the technology for internal employees, we just build random tech, that's where the struggle of adoption happens. So when you actually treat the user as your customer for that product, boom, there you go. I mean, like, I I, I built that mentality because when, when I used to work for Walmart, I was not only an employee of Walmart, but I was a customer for Walmart, right? I used to shop all the time at Walmart and uh, some experiences that I had 
were not that great. I wasn't proud of those experiences. Uh, uh, when I think from customer perspective, uh, you know, I used to be embarrassed that the solution that I provided gave such an awkward experience. So I always wanted to make make that better, right? So that's why I was stressing the importance of synthesizing and having compassion and empathy towards the actual consumer of your technology, whether it is an insider or outsider. I have one last question before I, I want to give you a chance to provide our listeners with some final thoughts. But in your role as CTO, technology evaluation is obviously a big piece of it. So let us jump into your head a little bit. What are some of the things that you look for um, when you are evaluating technology that's going to be applicable to your organization? First and foremost thing I actually look at is uh, uh, as, as making decisions is build versus buy. Because having come from retail background, there are uh, there, this, this thought process has been planted in, uh, from the folks that I learned from is if, if things are going to be core to the business, if things are going to be needing to be, uh, you know, providing competitive advantage or, uh, you know, strategic advantage, then own them and dictate the roadmap. Or especially of, they have to be really customized, right? Yes. And then things that are, you know, not so core, uh, things that are, you know, a regular process, uh, standalone, uh, not a lot of customization required, then look for best uh, possible uh, solution that's already available in the market and, and try to, you know, work with a partner. Other word that I carefully used is the partner rather than a vendor, right? There are a lot of vendors that are available in the industry that you can buy. But I look for in my evaluation is who could be the right partner that can support the needs of our organization, right? Like when uh, you need to react quickly, when you need to adapt quickly, who, who will have the best interest of uh, the agency's mission is, is something that we also look at. Then the other key elements that you also have to look at is uh, future proofing, right? You know, I want to understand uh, uh, as, as an example, if, if I'm evaluating a low-code platform, just say uh, for the namesake of it, as I'm evaluating uh, the multiple low-code providers in the industry, I'm looking at what their current capabilities are, what their uh, platform can do today. But also I'm trying to dig deeper to understand what is their roadmap, how much matured they are in terms of their long-term planning. So that way I can assess where they will be in two to three years from now or five years from now and will they be able to support me in that phase? They may be the best product in the world today, but when things evolve and change, who could be uh, in the best place to support me? Then the last thing, obviously, uh, you know, I'm spending taxpayers' dollars. So the total cost of ownership is uh, another key element that I look at in evaluating the technology needs. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point because... We've talked about, even on this show, risk aversion within the federal government uh, and state and local government. And while 
governments do tend to move slow and they are risk averse. I think that's the thing to remember. And I'm glad you brought that up is that they, they're not spending R and D dollars or, or money that might go to, to shareholders. They're spending taxpayer dollars. So I think the, the risk aversion is because they want to make sure they're making the best use of frankly, my money and your money as they can, um, which I can absolutely appreciate. Hey, Pavan, I really appreciate your time today. And, and I think you've given our listeners some really good insights. Any final thoughts you want to leave with them today? So um, two thoughts. One, uh, definitely, you know, the federal technology space is definitely interesting. And a lot of my colleagues, professional colleagues in the private sector may or may not have thought how challenging it is and how satisfying it is to be working for federal government. So if there are users that are contemplating, hey, um, should I take a massive pay cut and go work for a federal agency? I highly encourage it. It's it's worth, uh, again, uh, I don't want to discount anybody's financial needs, but uh, there is a lot of value that uh, successful technologists can do uh, to support and serve the country. So I highly encourage, uh, you know, people, qualified people to look for opportunities to serve and bring change into the government space. Then the second one, I um, always would want to encourage uh, people that are aspiring, uh, people that are uh, open for learning and growth to be very, very open to change and be passionate about anything that you do or want to do. Uh, That's my life taught me that if you are passionate and if you continue to work hard uh, towards that dream that you're passionate about, uh, results will automatically come and you know, your actions will be noted and there will be more and more opportunities that will help you reach your dreams. And uh, with that, Brian, I definitely uh, don't want to miss thanking you for the opportunity to share my thoughts. Uh, Definitely uh, appreciate you having me on the podcast. Feeling is very mutual, Pavan. Thank you so much again for, for joining us today. And I hope our listeners got a lot out of today's conversation. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or wherever you access your podcasts. And please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Chittister AB. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.